0: What is up, everyone? I hope you're having a wonderful 2023. Inside the War Room is, of course, here, ready to go. A lot of shows this year to put out. Two things you can do to support us. One, give a five-star rating wherever you listen to this podcast. A like, a thumbs up, subscribe, whatever that looks like on your platform. We would greatly appreciate it. Two, if you want to support the show, you can do that by going to warroommedia.com that keeps the ads off, that keeps us rolling, it covers our cost. We would really, really appreciate that. WarRoomMedia.com. Dieter, welcome to the War Room. Welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I usually don't like putting guests on the spot with the first question, but in this case, I have to. I need you to defend the Oxford comma for us, please. (laughs) Um. I guess
1: um you read it on my website. Um well I don't know. I just I uh I just like it. I guess because you know I'm my native uh, my mother tongue is, is German and we don't do the comma where you put the Oxford for comma, so I guess that's the reason why I like it. <laughs> because it would be completely uh grammatically incorrect to do it in German. So I guess that's why I, I like doing it in English.
0: I didn't want to get some broad into a controversy but, you know, um let's go and get this the controversial stuff out the way. Um I know that is a controversial issue amongst people who like to read and write, so we've got that taken care of. Okay, let's get into a little bit about your yourself. Kind of you, you mentioned that your native tongue is German. Um you're you're into history, you kind of love um an interesting part of history that we haven't covered on the show before. So maybe unpack why you be, decided to kind of study this this part of history. Um, was it something that you just picked up over time? Or no, 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 you've always been interested um, in these various topics.
1: I think my interest in Irish history, it already uh, emerged um, – when i was teenager but it was more like broader interest in international politics and history of other countries um i guess probably because as a teenager i always found like austrian history like I, i'm from austria originally i always found it like boring there was not much going on so um uh, but i was very much interested in in, in history and politics so um i looked at other countries and i became from an early age interested in all kinds of conflicts mm. social conflicts national conflicts uh, cultural conflict all kinds of conflicts um and i read a lot about uh different conflicts and that that, that was all also like um the time when Um, 9-11 happened and then two years later the Iraq war and, um, I read more and more Middle East, uh, history, um, but also European history. And at that time, the Northern Ireland conflict was still in the news. It was a few years before the decommissioning of the IRA. Um, so, uh, I started also to read about um Irish history and the Northern Ireland conflict and I guess um the reason why I eventually stuck to that conflict was uh language because uh I had English in school so I could follow uh the news from that country mm-hmm. uh with other with other uh world regions like the Middle East or um I I was interested also like uh in, in the various conflicts in this in Spain, like Catalonia, the past country, but Spanish, I couldn't read Arabic. So I guess um in the beginning it was like this more pragmatic reason. I understood yeah. the language so I could I could read more. And I, 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 I started started to study history and um at that time, there was a program from the Irish government. They um, That was under Eamon O'Quif. Uh, he was uh, the minister of education. And he started the program funding Irish language courses throughout uh, Europe, and I also think North American universities. So at one of these universities that offered these courses was the University of Vienna. So I, I enrolled in, in this course as well. And I developed from there. Nice. So it developed from there. It,
0: and it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting to hear your perspective on that because, you know, in the U.S. growing up, um, a lot of kind of how... At least I viewed the world was through movies, right? So the geopolitical conflict, the the spy who's going to fight this bad guy or that bad guy in whatever whatever country they they're from, and so you think about the eight. I was born in eighty five, so eighties and nineties. there's a lot of Russia stuff as you transition to post nine eleven, becomes more, more more Middle Eastern. But there is one movie I can think of that has that that kind of Irish um, bent to it. It's one of the Jack Ryan movies. I think that that they're attacked by um some some people in that region and I, i've always kind of thought okay that's i've heard about some of this stuff but it's never something that that's really talked about and maybe it was before my time but at least in my era it's not an area we talk about the conflict the terrorism the good the bad um, in the u.s it feels like we don't get a lot of the news from this part of the world and so it's, it's interesting to hear that from from your perspective that was kind of a an interesting part of the world for from my perspective it's something like yeah it is interesting but We've just not been told a lot of it unless you really dug in. And so it's um, – I, I, any thoughts on why that might be? Is that just more of a, a U.S.-centric kind of mentality that we we won't pay attention to stuff unless it involves us? Or have I missed a lot of opportunity here? Well,
1: I I think, like, growing up um, – and I'm roughly, like, your age. Um, I was born in 86, and growing up in, in Austria – uh well it 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 was a bit in the news not much i i guess not more than in in the u s because with the good friday agreement you had the clintons uh, coming to, to northern Ireland and uh so um that that was in the news and things like that but it wasn't much in the news it was not much talked about it and i think um probably that really attracted me um, to study this conflict because I grew up at the time, um, like I became politically conscious in the 1990s when uh, you just heard about the Cold War is over, the Berlin Wall Wall disappeared and there's peace. And uh, in the mid 1990s, Austria joined the European Union and it was all, portrayed as this uh, massive peace project and there is now everlasting peace at least in Europe, probably all over the world um, and then suddenly I somehow found out actually but there are two EU member states who are involved in an armed conflict actually in the longest war in the up until then in the longest war after uh the second world war um so there is this contradiction um there is like right in the middle of western europe uh an armed conflict going on um so uh, so i guess it was that 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 also caught my interest because it didn't fit into this uh peace narrative that was um held at that time and um and whenever someone talked about war it was far away it was in the middle east it was uh in southeast asia it was in latin america um but in fact the longest war was lingering and although it was coming to an end at the time uh but it was still there right in the in the uh, right in one can say the western edge of uh, western europe
0: and, and so at a high level let's kind of unpack um why this war went on so long obviously there's, know there's probably a lot of details here but because a, a slight genesis to the story why it drug on for so long um, and then understand for again for people who don't maybe understand the area very well what, what who are the players here because uh, from the again the the high school graduate non educated I've always kinda like it's the Catholics and the Protestants are going at it. I don't know if that's even true or not, so maybe dispel some myths around it as well
1: i would say they're well they're different actors in this conflict um three main actors um, as you say um Catholics or protestants um although um, I try to avoid um these terms because it's a, a the the conflict that was uh, waging since uh, the late nineteen sixties uh was the result of uh the outcome of a much longer conflict, a colonial conflict. And um, the conflict that started in the late 1960s uh, was still uh, the result of this older colonial conflict. Um, so let me go back a bit, um, and, and I, I, I try to be brief, but l- let's go back to uh, the 17th century. Where we actually find the roots of uh, the modern conflict. Uh, so, Ireland, um, the Anglo-Sax uh, and 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 the English, or in the beginning, the 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 Nor- uh, the Normans uh, tried to conquer Ireland. They were not completely successful, but there were attempts from uh, the 12th century onwards. But what changed then in the seventeenth century was that uh a program of uh government organized plantations started uh it's called the plantation period, and uh settlers that from the Scottish lowlands that were loyal to the English uh crone were planted in Ireland, and the native population uh, was uh, removed from from the lands um, that these settlers uh, received. And the native population was overwhelmingly Catholic. And the new settlers, they were overwhelmingly um, Presbyterians. So when we talk about Protestants in in the Northern Irish context, is actually um, the different Presbyterian congregations, um, <clears throat> and then from seventeenth century on, uh, England um, established colonial system. Ireland became, one can say, the first and the oldest colony of the British Empire. And it was a classical colonial conflict. Um, In the 19th century, with the rise of uh, nationalism and uh, Enlightenment ideas, uh, came also uh, a rise of national consciousness in Ireland. It actually started in the late 18th century as a result of the American Revolution. Uh, because the founder of what became Irish Republicanism, he actually lived for um, a short time in uh, Pennsylvania, and he became familiar with the ideas of the American Revolution. Um, And he founded... um, Uh, Irish Republican Society. society. It was called the Society of the United Irishmen in the 1790s. Um, But interestingly, I I tell this story because you mentioned uh, Catholics and Protestants. Um, All the founding members of the original Irish Republicanism influenced by the ideas of democracy, enlightenment and the American Revolution, they were all Protestants. Um, They were actually uh, wealthy businessmen, but they had no uh, democratic rights within the monarchy. So they founded uh, this Republican society. They were trying to organize a a rising with the support of the French, failed uh, in 1798. Uh, But from that on, you could say that in every generation, you had uh, a Republican uprising in Ireland. Uh, And it was very much influenced, all the ideas of uh, Irish republicanism were very much influenced by the American and the French uh, revolutions. And then a huge turning point when I would say that Irish nationalism and Irish Republicanism became a a mass movement were uh, the famine in the 1840s. because that was a famine that was to a large extent not necessarily caused but made worse by uh, the political decisions made in London by the British government. And uh, almost half of the population of Ireland during these four years of the famine either died or migrated to North America.
0: Did you say forty
1: oh, percent? Oh, oh, 50%. 50%. Okay. 50%. O- almost yeah about about half of, 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 of the population. And um yeah. And after and after the famine there was a massive wave of um uh, national uh, awakening very similar to other um, European nations back then, like in Germany, like the, uh, the Slavic people, uh, the Hungarians who uh, developed uh, an independence movement against the Habsburg monarchy and so on. Um, there were different attempts for independence, there were different uh, um, attempts for risings, they all failed. And then another turning point was uh, the First World War. Um, During the First World War, um, the British government tried to introduce uh, conscription, but there was was, um, massive opposition in Ireland. Against it, and a secret society, Irish Republican Brotherhood, and uh, a guerrilla army, which was called the Irish Volunteers, which was founded uh, in 1914, they started to organize uh, an uprising, and they fought that with the because of the turmoils and because. Uh, Britain is involved in First World War. That might be their chance to gain independence. They were trying to uh, get support and arms from Germany, um, but that attempt largely failed. But still they were um, staging a rising, the so-called Easter Rising of 1916, because it started on, on... uh, during during easter week and uh they proclaimed an independent irish republic at easter 1916 um again the rising was uh, not successful it was actually really badly organ- organized um the, the rebels were defeated within one week but um britain uh Sentenced the leaders of this rising to death, and uh, they started with um, the killings. Uh, shortly afterwards, and uh, that, and because of that, the rebels gained a lot of sympathy from the from the population. And at the elections, two years later, in December nineteen nineteen eighteen, uh, the Irish Republican Party. Sinn Féin uh received a landslide victory they 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 got almost uh, 80% of the of the Irish seats uh in Westminster but Sinn Féin, um, Sinn Féin had for uh followed an abstentionist policy that that meant that they abstained from taking their seats in Westminster because they said that's in uh, not legitimate made uh, parliament of the colonial power. That's not a representation of the Irish people. So instead of going to London and taking their seats, they sa- set up in January 1919 their own independent revolutionary uh, government in Dublin. And on that day, that was the 20, uh, 21st of January 1919, and the War of Independence started. That lasted for uh, two years, uh, from 1919 to 1921. It ended with negotiations. Um, Ireland got partitioned. Northern Ireland remained uh, within the United Kingdom. The South, uh, the rural South, which was poorer, then then the North became first partially independent. It remained part of the Commonwealth. Uh, it was a fr- called Irish Free State. Uh, the king remained uh, head of the state. Um, the Republican movement split uh, because um, half of it didn't agree with, with the partition of Ireland. So in 1922, 1923, uh, a civil war started but the pro treaty forces with the support of the former colonial power um uh won uh this this civil war and it was then it was about 25 years later after the second world war then and uh, president aimo de valera uh, sorry not um uh, uh, sorry um My bad. After the Valera, um, um, after the Second World War, Ireland proclaimed then its uh, uh, complete independence. They left uh, the Commonwealth and uh, became a republic. Since then, the southeast uh, of Ireland is a republic. So Ireland is made up of um, 32 counties, and 26 uh, became a republic, and six in in the northeast remained in the United Kingdom. And in this region, Northern Ireland, um, that was the wealthier region. So when, when when Ireland was partitioned, was the wealthier part you had the industrial centers, Belfast was the industrial center of the of the whole island, you had uh, the shipyard, for example, the Titanic was built in Belfast, um, and it was also uh, it had a geostrategical role in particular during the Cold War because uh, from Northern Ireland um, the uh, the, the British, uh, Britain could e- more easily control the North Atlantic. Um, but um, in this part of the Northeast, the whole island had a Catholic majority. Uh, they had an Irish uh, self consciousness, but in the Northeast, Since the 17th century, since the period of um, the plantations when, as I said before, um, settlers from the Scottish lowlands uh, arrived there. There in the Northeast, there was a Protestant uh, majority. And these Protestants were loyal um, to uh, Britain, and they wa- always wanted to remain uh, the union with Great Britain. So they're called unionists. Uh, or sometimes the more ra- radical wing of them are called loyalists because they are loyal to the British throne. Um, and actually, the state, the Northern Irish state that emerged after partition was a very discriminatory state. It was almost like a one-party state um, and the Catholic minority was uh, discriminated by the Protestant majority. Um, Because of um, the election boundaries um, you had in the second city, you always had like uh, a Protestant majority in the council, although Derry was uh, uh, a Catholic city. Um, but because of the gerrymandering, um, the Protestants won all, all the elections. The system was uh, that discriminatory, actually, that I, there is an article from the early 80s, for example, um, where the New York Times compares the discriminatory legislation in Northern Ireland with the South African apartheid regime. Um and so, and against this discrimination, a civil rights movement emerged, which was very much influenced also by the American civil rights movement. And they organized the first uh, marches uh, in autumn 1968. And in the beginning was a peaceful uh, civil rights movement demands for one man, one vote, um, end of discrimination. But um, with the peaceful civil rights protests, they were often blocked by the police. And the police in Northern Ireland was a paramilitary police uh, because um, they, since uh, the establishment of the Northern Irish state in the peace treaty, it said that Northern Ireland cannot have its own army. So instead of an army, uh they got the paramilitary police force. Um and the police force was almost entirely uh Protestant and entirely unionist, uh and they attacked um the the civil rights marches. Um and um and then uh in July uh, 1969, um, a group of uh, Protestants entered a Catholic neighborhood in West Belfast and set the whole street on fire. Um, it was an ep- uh, a period which became known as uh, the Belfast pogroms. Um, the thousands of Catholics had to, to flee their homes in in. in the next few days, and that was the moment when the Catholic population um, recognized they had to arm themselves to defend their neighborhoods. And with that, um, the circle of armed conflict basically started. And then one month later in August, uh, 1969, the British army uh, was deployed to uh, the region. And that was actually the beginning of three decades of uh, armed conflict and war in Northern Ireland.
0: Okay, so there's a lot, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of background history here that that's, that that kind of keeps the, the forward momentum going. It, it sounds like, and one of the things that you touched on a couple of times was U.S. influence, which I was not aware of, uh, or not necessarily influence, but the ideas from the U.S. that are uh, impacting um some of the these these movements in ireland how is is that been a there's a certain period in history right so after the revolutionary war where i can see that being a little bit more controversial from the crown's perspective like oh hey we just had to deal with these guys and now you guys are saying the same thing as it's gone along is there is, is that been a, a a contentious point? Like, oh, you're getting it from the Americans, and so that makes it more appealing, less appealing. Is that relevant to the, the space? Because again, at some point in history, I can see oh, the Americans are saying it, and so some people might just dismiss it because loyalty well, to the crown. Other people who want to break from the crown might might leverage that. Um, but as you move through history, I'm curious how that's resonated. Like getting something, I don't say getting something, but kind of building upon what was happening in the U S. Um, does that receive any additional scrutiny? Well the
1: the links uh and the role of um um the US in almost in all Irish history but particularly in at conflict um the anti colonial conflict from as I said from the eighteenth century on and then throughout the twentieth century was massive. I I I briefly I I Briefly mentioned um, the role of uh, the Clintons, um, but um, in 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 all aspects there was some always some kind of um, American influence and um, the ideas of uh, Irish republicanism they came from uh, the American Revolution and then I would say particularly. Because of the famine, because there were, uh, there was over 1 million of, uh, Irish men and Irish women, uh, left Ireland, sailed over the Atlantic and, 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 and settled in North America, uh, in Boston, in Chicago, San Francisco, um, and they kept their links and, um, I, w- I would even say that like uh, during some decades in the nineteenth century Irish republicanism uh in the u s a uh was more influential than in ireland itself mm. um you even had uh in the nineteenth century you had uh, Irish republicans uh there was one episode when uh, they set up a battalion to attack the British forces in Canada um, and um, and because of the poverty many Irish Republican leaders went to America were politically active there and um, in uh, America they established contacts with other uh, political uh, underground movements. For example, uh, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, there were close links with uh, Russian uh, nihilists, uh, anarchists, and so on, and they learned uh, the use of dynamite in America for the use uh, in Ireland and United Kingdom then. Um, But there was not only, and, and, and always, Irish Republicanism always looked, um, uh, towards the United States. I would say much more than towards the European continent. The first thing, um, that, uh, the, that the revolutionary government after, uh, they 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 set up their independent uh, parliament in 1919 the first thing they they did was to send a delegation uh to the us um and ask them that the united states recognize the new independent state um and they uh, started fundraising because of the irish uh Migration to the United States. There were more Irish people in the United States than in Ireland itself, and wow. that was like a vast pool for for fundraising. And in particular, the fundraising um, kept on going until the twenty first century. And in particular, in the seventies and the eighties, you had a very influential organization in the uh, United States. They were called Irish Northern Aid, mm-hmm. and they were collecting a vast amount of monies among Irish um, businessmen and ordinary um, Irish-American uh, workers. And also um, the first modern weapons that the Irish Republican Army then in the 1970s um, received, the Armalite, as it was called, they were actually... Uh, I, think, I, I think they were... A, They were manufactured in the United States. I think it was uh, an arms factory in uh, Iowa, I think. Mm. Um, I'm not entirely sure about Iowa, but uh, uh, it was an arms factory in the United States. Um, And the network, how the money, uh, the arms uh, were transported um, to... To Ireland, that most of it went through through Boston, with the support uh, because Boston you had particularly particular among the trade unions, uh, workers uh, in Boston Port a, a significant amount of Irish, um, and uh, and then also like the the, the political influence. Um the, the Irish uh caucus they lobbied a lot in the American Senate and the House of Representatives. You have uh still a bipartisan um group uh that is dealing uh with Ireland and with norland who also regularly um issue statements in relation to brexit
0: down the last number of years and so on so let me um let me ask you maybe the the dumb question um and i think about this in context of you'll see on the news man murders wife it's like why not just get divorced like why not just get divorced why did you have to kill her or vice versa why is this conflict that's gone on for so long something that they can't split the country and get equitable arable land and non arable land and access to ports it is like why can't something like that happen is it outside influences that are keeping it from happening is it just a deep sense of loyalty to the to the land and they want it like why can't a simple resolution happen here
1: yeah i mean that's a good question um and Um, I, I personally think it's, of course, outside influence, uh, and also, um, I think you need to understand in particular, the, the pro-British unionists, they are, because most of the British people, um, they know very little about Northern Ireland uh, and they don't care about Northern Ireland. And you could see it also like in, in the last couple of years during the Brexit negotiations, um, the conservative politicians uh, and uh, who were in power of the Tory party, they don't care uh, uh, about Northern Ireland. They are... Uh, English, more English nationalists than British nationalists. Um, and they were happy to sacrifice, if you want to use that word, uh, Northern Ireland f- uh, for uh, a positive outcome for them of the Brexit negotiations. But um, the unionist population in Northern Ireland were unwilling to accept that. And many people. Wonder why do the unionists have such uh, a hardline position? And I think you need to understand it as a form of, because they are uh, a people that emerged as uh, settlers, and they 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 still have very much have the settler colonial mentality. Um, they are sometimes they are described as more British than the British. Because Northern Ireland uh it doesn't have its own anthem. It doesn't have its own uh flag. Like the the Unionists mm. and the Irish Nationalists they use different flags in Northern mm. Ireland. Uh the one is white, the other is yellow. Uh like in Scotland, in Wales and England, it's not a problem that they have their own flags and the union check. Mm. It's not a problem that they they own have that they have their own anthems that are Played at the begin before uh, sports games um, in Northern Ireland when the Northern Irish uh, soccer team plays, they perform "God Save the Queen" because, or doubt of "God Save the King" because mm-hmm. they don't have their own national anthem because the unionists are completely blocking it because um, they always they they are really much afraid that any Northern Irish identity would um, would uh undermined their British identity. Uh, and they have I would say a much stronger British identity than yeah. the average British person in the in Great Britain itself. Um, so this is one reason uh why it's difficult to solve uh this conflict and the second uh, reason is as you mentioned uh outside influence um outside influence also from different actors, not so much Europe. Europe never really played uh, a part in the Northern Irish conflict up until Brexit. Um, But as I said before, you have um, London, Great Britain, which had an interest in keeping Northern Ireland uh, in the beginning because of the industry. Belfast was one of the industrial centers of the British Empire. Um, in addition, I, I mentioned the shipyards, and in addition to that, the Leinen, uh industry, uh, Belfast was wealthy, was very wealthy uh, in the early 20th century. Um, and then uh, the second reason uh, was, as I also mentioned before, uh, geostrategic reasons. And in particular, that became uh, very obvious during the Cold War. Mm. Um, Because I think not only from from, uh, Great Britain, but also from other transatlantic powers um, because of the rise of republicanism and republicanism then from particular from the late 70s on uh it m- moved more and more to the left but not towards the soviet union but more into like this um non-aligned movement uh third world third worldism sometimes it, it was called back then um forging links to the Sandinistas in Central um, America, to the ANC in South Africa, to the PLO in the Middle East uh, and uh, movements like that. And some saw a danger that if um, Northern Ireland unifies with the Republic of Ireland, that might give a boost to the Republican movement to such an extent that it could gain power and that some kind of uh, uh, Cuba-like state could emerge Mm. uh, in front of Europe.
0: It's interesting because one of the ideas I've chewed my head for a couple of years now is the concept of how a lot of countries um, came about, especially uh, Treaty of Versailles, You know, war has expanded boundaries, removed boundaries, Um, and the idea of kind of the modern nation state. You know, in the U.S., obviously, is a very large area. Um, But you know, where I sit at is you know politically different than someone in other cities, and and we have other than maybe the flag. um, There's not a whole lot of cultural things that we might share in. I live in the country; I don't live in the big city. Um, What what's striking to me is, despite that, there is still this need this desire to say we're not in 20, we're not in, you know, 1522 we're in 2023 we can actually figure out a way to coexist and make this four countries or five countries or or whatever and people could move around and rearrange quite easy this isn't you know the whole you know the danger of moving is no longer there um and so when i hear about these things it, it's it's stunning to me that in 2023 these type of resol- these type of uh, this type of mindset is not just the Irish. It's I see it in the U.S. I see it all over the world. This type of mindset that we can't redraw the map to make it to where people can live amicably is still there. It's I'm not saying it would be easy, like as in you could do it tomorrow, but it's a lot easier than when you had to get in a horse and a buggy and go across to the great unknown. Like it's you know we can rearrange societies if we wanted to quite easily without having to go to war, without conflict. What about this situation? I mean, do you think that maybe this is kind of a microcosm for what we see globally, why we see, in, you know, turmoil inside of countries? Um, or is there something unique about this? Because I, I do find this question of redrawing the map and why we don't see it happen more regularly um, from a free society standpoint happen.
1: I think the the problem is that 100 years ago, um, a very unjust um, system was established um, in Northern Ireland. And uh, London wanted to keep power of 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 northern ireland by uh supporting the protestants um which were pro union um and discriminating discriminating the pro irish catholic uh minority and the unionists had um a good life in this system because they had the good jobs um they had the political power um the trade unions played an important part in maintaining uh the, this unionist a uh, uh, protestant uh power um because they uh secured the uh, that better paid jobs in the industry for unionist Protestant uh, workers and uh, the Catholics they they didn't have they couldn't get a decent income they, they couldn't get any any job uh, in in the industry they were living in, in, in slums um, and that the, the the problem is, um, it sounds easy. Um, why can we not establish uh, a free society without discrimination, where all communities are, have the same rights? But when the when the peace process started particular America the American government the Clintons they, they they promised everything northern ireland and said oh there will be so much money coming in and all these great jobs and everything the problem was as soon as the as the peace treaty was signed all the money that that the Clintons promised um never came it it, it dried out because as soon as they could uh uh as, you know as soon as the media attention was gone the US government was not interested in in um uh, in um in a settlement anymore and then and shortly afterwards uh George Bush came to power then nine eleven and he just had another focus then Northern Ireland. Um the focus of of U, uh, us foreign policy was 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 obviously not not northern ireland anymore so from the moment on actually um that the peace treaty the good friday agreement was signed in 1998 uh and there were attempts uh, and and formally both um uh groups Unionists, Protestants, on the one hand, and Catholics, uh, Irish Nationalists, on the other hand, uh, were treated equally, also meant that the Protestants lost their political and economic power. Um, and in particular, since the economic rise in 2008, um it hit Northern Ireland uh, very badly, much worse than the rest of the United King, uh United Kingdom. And many uh Protestants who had good and secure jobs before, they blame now their loss uh of of of, of wealth, their decline in income, they blame it now um on the peace process. Whereas in fact mm. Um, um they are they're victims of the economic crisis of 2008, but they blame it on they blame it uh, on the peace process. They blame their um, joblessness, uh, uh, their loss of political status and wealth. They say now that. Catholics are taking our jobs. They are taking our jobs, but in fact, the Catholics are not taking their jobs. Uh, it's just the jobs disappeared because the shipyard industry they moved from uh, from Belfast to India or Southeast Asia, where it, the workforce is cheaper. Mm. Mm. Um, okay. Yeah,
0: I know we have only scratched the surface here. <laughs> it was good to. <laughs> to at least get a high overview of such a complex topic. You have uh, books on these issues that you go into. You've got an upcoming book coming out as well. I'm going to link to your Amazon book page so people can go check that out. Uh, I'll link to your website um, as well in, on Twitter. Is there anywhere else you want us to send people to?
1: No, I think what you, what you just mentioned, um, as you said, yeah, I've just uh, published a new book about the role of uh, former – Uh, political motivated prisoners in the conflict transformation process in the peace process in uh, northern ireland was also published with a north american uh, publisher university of toronto press and uh yeah my website my twitter that's basically where you find all information i try to keep my website uh as uh updated as possible so yeah
0: okay well this has been fascinating I learned a lot like I said coming into it it's not a subject I know much at all about and so um, I feel like I know less now <laughs> because there's so there's, it's like anything else you get to there's just so much here like oh my gracious I had I had no idea so thank you so much for coming on uh, to the show today
1: thank you for the invitation thank you very much
0: hey you made it to the end of this episode thank you so much now I'm gonna ask a favor if you enjoyed it, Would you drop a five star somewhere? And if you really enjoyed it, would you consider becoming a subscribing member over at warroommedia.com? Helps keep the show going and ad-free. Thank you so much.